0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. So we're going to jump right into our study. We're going to be talking about some terms today. And there are terms that are, are widely misunderstood and variously applied. And we, we just want to take away... All the fear from that. We're just going to use the Word of God. We're going to see what we're studying. We're going to define some terms. We're going to be talking about several words that I know. You know, maybe maybe you've heard different religious people say this about this term or that about that that term. We're going to be talking about the elect, Ek-lektos, or something like that. Is the Greek word. If you were to use a Greek lexicon. I, I used Thayer as Greek to English lexicon in my studies and preparation on this verse. Uh, I also use Strong's. Uh, if you were using either, you could find the Greek word just by knowing it's Strong's number 1588. And there's various definitions because like English words, Greek words can mean different things. So it's always, always, always important to look at context, see how the word is being used, look at context clues. It's always important to see how that applies throughout the scriptures and like context to look at synonyms and, and, and define things based on how they're used. So we're going to do some of that in our study today. Well, elect, as it appears in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, again, Strong's number 1588, means picked out chosen. So, you just think of elect, chosen, okay? It's uh, chosen by God to obtain salvation through Christ. Christians are called chosen or elect of God. The Messiah is called elect as appointed by God in the most exalted office conceivable. It means choice, select, an example, the best of its kind or class, excellence, preeminent, applied to certain individual Christians. So, You can see a broadness in definitions, but along the lines of being picked, of being chosen. The second word we're going to be talking about today that needs some some definition, prognosis, or as you see it here in this verse, foreknowledge. And it just, you know, Strong's number 4268, again using thayer, means foreknowledge, forethought, or prearrangement. So we're going to be talking about those that are chosen according to the forethought or prearrangement of God the Father. We're going to be talking about sanctification. Sanctification is another one of those words, and and maybe you've heard people use it in various different ways. And of course, there's there's different uh, areas where sanctification applies to what man does, what God does, what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, the Greek word here, hagiasmos, or something along that line, hagiasmos, uh, consecration or purification. The effect of consecration, sanctification of heart and life, is Strong's number 38. And when we look at this word and, and look at its usage throughout the scriptures, and we're going to do more of this as we go through the lesson, but just real quick, uh, here in 1 Peter 1-2, we're going to talk about people who are elect or chosen, according to the forethought or foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit. So we're not going to be talking about what man is doing in sanctification. We're going to be talking about purification through the Spirit and how that relates. And I think you'll find it interesting as we kind of look through the Scriptures. And if you look at this word in different verses, sometimes it's translated like in the King James Version and with different English words. Like in Romans 6 and verse 19, and Romans 6 and verse 22, it's translated holiness. And think about it. In these two verses, you're not, we're, we're not reading about the work of the Holy Spirit. It says, uh, Romans 6, 19 says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. So, this verse is about surrendering uh, the Christians in Rome. We're told to surrender themselves as servants to uh, what is right and, and, and righteousness unto. So holiness in this point or sanctification this point is still future looking and based upon what they were going to do. In Romans 6, 22, being now made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So it's again forward and then looking at the end. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 it's translated sanctification. And it says here, but of him are ye and Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So this is pointing to Jesus for sanctification. So in Romans 6 to the Christian. And 1 Corinthians 130 to Jesus 1 Peter 1, 2, the Holy Spirit. That shows you the broadness of the subject and allows us to think about the scope of that word from your part as well as the divine, from God's part. And what we are going to be studying from 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, we have limited information. We have one verse. So we want to, of course, as we're going to go through the book of 1 Peter, we're going to be seeing different things. But we also want to enlarge uh, the context of our study to other texts that give us insight into what's being talked about. So one of the things we talked about with the word elect is that it means chosen. And a text I'm about to have you think from is Ephesians chapter 1, 1 through 14. It's not the same Greek word, but it is the word chosen, eklegomoi. E or something along that line uh, is what we're going to talk about. We're also going to see in the text we're going to read, we're also going to see foreknowledge. But here, it's going to be perizo, a different Greek word. It's going to be translated a different English word. It's going to be translated predestined, which, again, even though it's a different Greek word, different English word being translated into, you'll find if you were to do some defining, It means forethought or prearrangement. So different word, same meaning. Chosen and predestined, just like here, elect and foreknowledge. And we're also going to see in Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, the work of the Holy Spirit, not in the work of sanctification, but for the people in Ephesus, he is the earnest of their redemption. He is the evidence that the seal uh, for them That believed and we're going to talk about all that and then we're even going to go back and look how it looked for them now if you recall when we were studying in 1st Peter 1 1 um, these Christians that are scattered are in areas of Asia and guess what the church in Ephesus is in Asia we know that because they're written to in the book of Revelation the area of Asia so Ephesians 1 1 through 14 said we're going to begin says Paul an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god to the saints which are at ephesus and to the faithful in christ jesus so not just to ephesus but we know when we're reading through the new testament and we're reading other people's mail right i mean it's written to the church at ephesus uh, and to the faithful in christ but it's not written to me today and of course as you're looking through this books you have to be able to decipher you have to be able to be honest and rightly divide what applies to you today as it did to them. But when we look in the New Testament, letters were shared. For example, in Colossians 4.13, where uh, Paul said, I'll back up to verse 12, says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea and Hierapolis, He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you, salute the brethren which in Laodicea, Memphis, and the church in his house. Now notice verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church in Laodiceans. And likewise, you read the epistle from Laodicea. So they're sharing letters. So it's important to understand that. These saints are in Ephesus, uh, but the brethren that are scattered here are in that area Two, uh, a lot of similarities in the congregation in Ephesus and what we're going to be talking about in First Peter. One of the primary, and this has relevance to what we're going to talk about in our study today, is predominantly Gentiles. So let's keep reading this epistle in Ephesians, verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen, again, eklikomohomi, or something like that, us in him before the foundation of the world. So here, similar to what we're going to talk about in 1 Peter, chosen before the foundation of the world. All right? The text continues in verse four, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, now again, huge Uh, huge here, prezo, that meaning predetermined. Remember what we're talking about? We're talking about foreknowledge, forethought, prearrangement, right? That's what we're talking about, similar uh, words in our study. Unto us the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, And whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together, notice this, in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So, and when we get into chapter 2, which we're going to come back to later in our study uh, to the church in Ephesus, it's important that there you understand there's a reconciliation of all things in Christ. Verse 11, in whom also we obtain the inheritance, notice again the word predestined, same, it's that that we talked about this earlier, predestined, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So predetermined. He determined. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Now, verse 13 and 14, we're going to see a work of the Spirit that's different than we're going to talk about in 1 Peter 1 2. We're going to talk about sanctification uh, and, uh, through the Spirit in 1 Peter 1 2. Here's a different work, and I'll show you the difference here momentarily. Verse 13 and 14 in whom after you trusted. After you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, this is important because we're going to be tying this in to our study of 1 Peter 1-2. The gospel and being chosen are inseparable. The preaching of the gospel, the reception of the gospel. After you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. And whom that you believed. All these things, the preaching of the truth, their believing of it. Then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So what did that look like? Well, one of the things that we have in Ephesus is we can go back and look at when the church began. That is when people initially obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ and the congregation in Ephesus officially got its start. It's in Acts 19. In Acts 19, one through seven, it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now, remember the language we looked at in Ephesians 1. In whom you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and whom after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So again, his question, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, Unto them what were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, The Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. So so we see this difference. The work of the spirit that we're gonna talk about in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 is not something that required the laying on of the apostles' hands. The giving of the spirit as the down payment, as the as the earnest of the inheritance, did require the laying on of the apostles' hands. After they were baptized, similar to what you see, if you want to kind of make a note and go back and read this later, later similar to what you see in Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 24, okay? They were taught, they obeyed, they were baptized, apostles came, laid hands on them, they received the Spirit, then they had gifts. That was their evidence. They were, they were sealed, okay? So, a little different. In 1 Peter 1-2, we're not going to be talking about the laying on the apostles' hands and the giving of the Spirit. We're going to be talking about through sanctification of the Spirit. Same Spirit, but different works. It's important to make that note. Furthermore, and we should be able to be reasonable with this and, and see this, should be obvious, being elect and being sanctified and being washed, because we're going to see the tie together of that language in our study today did not mean that Christians in the first century were finished, that they were eternally saved, and that everything was good from that point forward. Let's come back and talk about the saints in Ephesus, okay? In Acts chapter 20, remember we read Acts 19, 1 through 7. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going to come to Ephesus. In verse 17 through 32, I want you to notice what's written. From Miletus he sent unto Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And they were coming to him, and he said to them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you, and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of those things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, excuse me, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the, all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has pur- purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember That by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone day and night with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. If you listen to that and or if you go back and read it for yourself and see it, he's warning them. He's warning them to be steadfast in essence. He's warning them about people that would seek to try to take them away. He's giving them the word of God that they might continue. Why? because the inheritance is still in front of them, even though they're sanctified. it's still, still in the future. We're going to be talking about that in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to see that in 1 Peter 1, verse 9. The end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, to the church in Ephesus, Paul then writes a letter, right, which we've already read from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. They are chosen, that meaning they're elect. We saw in Acts 20, they are sanctified. We saw that it's according to the foreknowledge of God. But does that mean that they're a shoe in for heaven? Ephesians 5, 1-11, think about the responsibilities that are given here. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become saints." Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye light. And Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth proving what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unrootful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. See, they're not done. They are chosen. They are sanctified according to the foreknowledge of God. They're sealed with the Spirit. They have that down payment of the inheritance that's in front of them, but they can still fall away. In First 1 Timothy 1, 1.3, Paul told Timothy, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine. He sent Tychicus to Ephesus in 2 Timothy 4.12. And then when you come to the book of Revelation, for those that would say, no, they can't fall away, Revelation 2, 1-7, under, under the angel of the church in Ephesus write these things, saith he that hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walk in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they're apostles, and hast not, and has found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake, has labored, and hast not faintness. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Why do they have to repent? Because if you don't repent, you perish, Luke 13, 1-5. Or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitan, which thing also I hate. He that hath in here, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So before we even have gotten into 1 Peter 1-2, we've already clarified so that we need not be confused. Being elect according to the foreknowledge of God and sanctified by the Spirit does not mean you're eschewing for heaven. It does not mean that you are already and forever saved. Good. We got that covered. 1 Peter 1, 2 says this to the strangers that are scattered throughout Asia, says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now there is no doubt these people are the chosen of God. When we get into the second chapter of this book, and verses 5 through 9, verse Peter 2, 5 through 9, he says, "...ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house." And holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture: Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed the same is made head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offence. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen. Same exact Greek word we're using in First Peter 1 and verse 2, okay? They are the chosen. He's using this same word, eklektos or eklektus, depending on how the pronunciation should be. Your chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of them who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They're in the light. They're sanctified through the Spirit. They're elect according to God. Let's talk about elect not just from the standpoint of Ephesus or these scattered strangers. Let's use some things that was written to the saints in Thessalonica because when we talk about the elect— we have to understand that that election occurs through the gospel, like we talked about in Ephesians 1 and verse 13. And whom after you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you know, just so we're clear, election doesn't happen apart from the preaching and obedience to the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it says Paul, Savannah, and Timotheus, "...under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace." Similar, you know, to the language that we're reading here in First Peter 1 and verse 2, right? "...from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention you you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ." In the sight of God and our Father, knowing brethren beloved, your election, it's a different word in the Greek, but carrying about the same meaning, of God, for our gospel came. Notice what's connected: the election of God and the gospel, not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in In much assurance, as you know what manner of men were we among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord. When? 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 Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Inseparable. The gospel and election, you can't rip them apart. Again, now this is not meaning that salvation is forever secured. When we look at the Thessalonians, they were elect, they had received the election, but they were still told in First Thessalonians 2.12 that you will walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. They were still told in First Thessalonians 3.1-5, wherefore, when he could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, first six verses, furthermore, then we we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received with us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, how are they going to be sanctified? Here again, a little different than what we're talking about uh, with the elect in First Peter uh, two and or First Peter one and verse two, rather, uh, because sanctification is broad, right? Their they're, their sanctification here, not and again, same. All of it's the same, but this is just a different usage of the word that you should abstain from fornication. So when they're abstaining from sin, that's to their sanctification. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the vendor of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. So you can see First Thessalonians 2, 12, 3, 1-5, and 4, 1-6, through the elect... The sanctified still needed to continue to walk worthy, to obey God, to obey his commandments. They still, like the church in Ephesus, could have fallen unless the tempter tempted them and their labor be in vain. Why would that be? Because they would be fallen. The elect, Christians, still have to grow, still have to obey, still have to do things. And and this is our part where we can make our calling and election sure. Somebody might say, what what, what do you mean? I thought God does the electing. Yes, and you have a part too. You see, throughout the scriptures, God has a part in things, and so does man. What generally happens, though, is you have people that want to remove one side or the other. You have people that want to be saved by God's work only or by man's work only. Listen, it's both, okay? 2 Peter 1 First 11 verses, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We're going to come back to that later. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's your part make your calling and election sure. Now, when we talk about elect, like the definition pointed out earlier, you could be talking in general different terms. You could be talking about Christians in general. Like the church in Colossae, Paul Paul writing Colossians 3.12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbles of mind, meekness, long-suffering, etc. He's just calling Christians there, the elect of God. Could refer to angels. 1 Timothy 5.21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Could even be in reference to Christ as men used it here in reference to Christ. Luke twenty three thirty five, the people stood beholding and the rulers also derided him saying, he saved others, let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. Well, of course Christ is the chosen of God. He's the the elect. There, that word chosen is the same Greek word we're talking about uh, in our study of 1 Peter 1 and verse 2. So, folks, the term can mean different things. Christians, angels, Jesus. One thing that is consistent is God will do his part in the choosing, and we will do our part in the choosing. Jesus was the chosen of the Father to come in the world, to give his life for many. But... He still had to obey the will of the Father, right? Hebrews 5, and you can read that in verses 1 through 9. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered, became the author or the source of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. He came to do his Father's will and, and did execute it perfectly and wonderfully. He did his part. Now pay attention to this. Why do you think, why do you think that scattered Gentile Christians who, as we talked about last week, are facing persecution, why do you think they're being known, pointed out to them that they're elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit? Why do you think they're being called the elect of God? We read 1 Peter 2, 9. I want you to hear it again. This time, I want to go to verse ten, and I want to remind you of something that we talked about last week. First Peter two nine and ten. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now last week we proved that that language shows these are Gentiles. If you missed that, go back and listen to last week's lesson on 1 Peter 1, 1. I want you to think from a first century standpoint. Many Jews who were disobedient to the gospel and some who had obeyed the gospel and were members of the Lord's body did not want... The gospel preached to Gentiles. I want you to imagine that. The people that were known as God's people, the elect of old, the chosen of old, did not want the gospel message of salvation shared with people outside of their own tribes. How does that make you feel? Put your mind back here for a moment. There, there's an account I want to draw your attention to, Acts 13. And just to give you a little bit of background of what's going on, Acts 13, 13 through 16, Paul and his company loosed from Paphos and Perge and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. When they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Poseidon, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets... The rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. He said, The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and when the high arm brought them out of the land of Egypt. And from here, he gives them a historical rundown to bring them to John the baptizer and then to bring them to Christ and talk about Christ being raised from the dead in verse 30 and witnessed in verse 31. And then he declares the promise that was made unto the fathers fulfilled in Christ in verse 32 and 33. And then he he preaches further in verse 38 and 39. Be it known unto you therefore men and brethren that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Okay. Preaches the gospel to them. Gives them a warning in verse 40. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall not wise believe though a man declare it unto you. Okay, so he preaches to them, gives them a warning. Caution, verse 42: when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. How wonderful, right? I mean, the commission to the apostles, Mark 16:14, was to the 11. The commission to Paul in Acts 9, chosen vessel to the Gentiles, is to preach the gospel to every creature. Mark sixteen. 15 and 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Hey, this is wonderful. The Gentiles said, We want to hear the gospel. Verse 43 When the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Awesome. Verse 44. The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. I mean, man, as I imagine this, if I'm the one that is given the privilege to preach the gospel, I'm jumping out my skin. Wow, a whole city wants to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it all started because they went into a synagogue, stood up, read and preached. Wonderful. There's a but here. Verse 45, When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I want you to think about that. The Jews were dead set against the gospel being preached to the Gentiles. They stirred up trouble to chase Paul and Barnabas out of town. You're a Gentile. You just obeyed the gospel. How do you feel about God's people chasing off the teacher that taught you the gospel? In first Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16. It says for ye brethren became followers of the churches of God which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. To fill up their sin always, for the wrath is come upon them unto the uttermost. So so, put your mind back here. You remember last week when we talked about Peter and how in Galatians 2, 11 through 17, Paul had to withstood him to the face because he were to be blamed. For before certain had come from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch so much that Barnabas was carried away to the And how Paul said, when he saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, he said to Peter before them all, thou being a Jew, livest as the manner of the Gentiles, not as the Jews. Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners, the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even... We believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. He had to rebuke Peter, correct him. We we know the law doesn't justify any man, Jew or Gentile. Christ does. Faith in Christ does. But Peter made the Gentiles feel like lesser brethren, walking away from them. How would you feel? The Jews, some of your brethren who are Jews, and one of the apostles who's a Jew, who's now writing this letter. Again, we talked about that last week, about Peter's repentance, all great stuff. Go back and listen to that if you missed it. You should listen in order. Wow. So my question is, why is Peter telling them they're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father this is through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, etc.? Because they need to realize they're not God's second choice. This wasn't an accident, nor are they somehow second nature to the to the Jews. Because the Jews they were convinced that who they were persecuting was right. Think about Paul before he was a faithful Christian. Persecuting Christians, he thought he was doing the right thing. I mean, you know, to us who are reading the scriptures and have the knowledge that God does, that we do of God through the scriptures, we get that he wasn't. We understand that he wasn't. But he persecuted them unto death, Acts 22 and verse 4. Yeah, it's pretty terrible, right? And this same apostle said in Acts 24 and verse 16, Herein do I exercise my all, myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men? Man, he wasn't doing that thinking he's doing the wrong thing. Jesus forewarned in John 16:1 through 3 talking to his apostles, these things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. They thought they were doing the right things. These Jews, they were zealous. In Romans 10, 1 through 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves on the righteousness of God. They thought they were doing the right thing. They thought the Gentiles could in no way be their brethren. Or for the Jews who did not choose to obey the gospel of Christ, they thought the Gentiles were part of this false religion of Christianity. And they could no way be right. But they were altogether wrong. In Romans three twenty-nine and 30, is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Statements in 1 Peter 1 and verse 2 are clearly declaring to these Gentiles that they're elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit. That it's not of men. It's of God. Think about us today. It is highly unlikely that if you're listening to this podcast, that you can trace your bloodline back to one of the 12 tribes of Israel, that that bloodline hasn't been in any way, shape, or form disturbed. I'd like to meet that person who could do that. It'd be fascinating to talk about. For us who are Gentiles in the flesh, which I would think would most likely be everybody in the world. We're not secondhand citizens. When the gospel was preached, statements were made, like in Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And and just so we know, like sanctification, like being elect or chosen, like foreknowledge, these terms, calling on the name of the Lord is not just, hey, I'm going to say, hey, Jesus. You know, think about Paul in Acts 22.16. Uh, where he's given an account of his conversion and, and, and he quotes Ananias, and now why tearest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Whether you break that down in English or Greek, it ties baptism to the calling on the name of the Lord. But back to the original point, Acts 221. Whosoever. Romans 1 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation, every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That same book, Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you were to continue reading, how should they call? Unless they've not heard, verse 14, Goes down to the point that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. All of it ties. Like we talked about, election and the gospel are tied together. Learning, obeying, calling upon the name of the Lord, all of it's tied together. We as Gentiles who can, if you have not already, or have, if you have already, we can hear, believe, and obey the gospel to be among the elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit. In Romans eight seventeen, if children heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer, we may be glorified together as the children of God. Well, who is that? In Galatians chapter 3, Verse 26 through 29, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How wonderful is that. Isn't that remarkable? That's good stuff. It's very clear. I'm an heir. An heir how? Through obedience to the gospel. Being baptized into Christ. Putting on Christ. All that that language entails. But not just to the Jew. Not just to the wealthy. To the Greek. To the Gentile to the slave, to the master, to the male, the female. There's no distinction. You're a member of the body of Christ. Wonderful stuff. Now, how does this all fit into God's foreknowledge? When, hey, God's foreknowledge is an undeniable fact. I had a great conversation with a young lady. Uh, I say young lady. She's a, a little girl that comes uh, to the assembly of the saints with her mom and dad last Sunday, we were talking about Jesus. Shout out to Charlie again. Two podcasts here recently. And we were talking to, talking about uh, the death of Christ. And we were talking about how God the Father knew ahead of time what Jesus was going to go through and how Jesus knew. And she just marveled at it. I, I mean, she had a look of amazement. He knew before Jesus even came What was going to happen? Yes, God's foreknowledge is an undeniable biblical fact. In Isaiah 45, 21, "...tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God beside me, a just God and a Savior? There is none beside me." Think about that. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? God. In Isaiah forty six five through ten, to whom will you liken me, and make me equal, and compare me that we may be alike? They lavish gold out of the bag and weigh silver in the balance and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea they worship. They bear him upon the soldier, upon the shoulder. I'm sorry. They carry him. They set him in his place, and he standeth. From his place shall he not remove. Yea, one shall cry unto him. Yet he cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this, and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. He's talking to Israel. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God's foreknowledge, undeniable fact. He calls his shot and there is not chance to it because he knows the future. In Acts chapter 2, 22 and 23, he says, You men of Israel... He, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, and ye you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands have crucified and slain. That's the only other time the Greek word that that we see, in First Peter one and verse two, is used in the New Testament, is here in Acts two twenty three and in 1 Peter 1, 2. And it gives you great insight, doesn't it? In Acts chapter 15, a little bit of a lengthy reading, but you're going to see the point as we go through. I'm going to emphasize it to you, but I want you to hear it in context, because context is very important. And it's hard when you're preaching a lesson, especially the depth at which we're going in these studies, to bring everything in its context, because I have 90 minutes in a podcast, and and, and I can't go beyond that. <laughs> Boy, do I want to. I want this to be a four-hour podcast. I'm telling you, there's so much to talk about. I love it, don't you? I hope you do. In Acts 15, 1-21, certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren. And it said, Except you be circumcised as after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas, and certain of the other of, of them, should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. Being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they received of the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all the things that God done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, ye you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God... Which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But will we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they? Then all the multitude kept silence. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, And this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Notice this. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols, from fornication, from things strangled, from blood, for most of old time hath in every city, them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. His point being, this has been God's plan all along. God has known it from the beginning of the world. In fact, when we get later in First Peter chapter 1, Verses 18 through 20 say as for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Did you hear that? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Christ coming to the world was a plan before the foundation of the world, before the beginning, folks. A person, though, maybe a first-century Gentile Christian, maybe a first-century Jewish Christian, maybe a Jew in general, they could hear certain things preached like people do today and draw the wrong conclusion. Think about some words. Acts 5.31 Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Think about that. If you just isolate Acts 5.31, you say, see, Jesus came just, even though it doesn't say just for Israel, that's what people do, right? Like they see statements in the Bible, you should be saved by faith or say by calling on the name of the Lord, and then they add the word alone or only. Well, the mindset of Jews did this. In fact, the mindset of Jews did that, including the apostles like Peter, who had to be convinced in Acts 10 to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We'll come to that momentarily. Acts 10.36 The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You could infer from that Israel. Who's the all? All of Israel. But it's wrong. The verse we're studying shows that this is God choosing to save Gentiles through his foreknowledge. So they can trust like the prophet said, like we, we like was alluded to in Acts 15, Isaiah 11 and verse 1, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. If you read in that context down to verse 10, And that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an inside of the people. To it shall the Gentile seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And Romans 15, you see that brought to fruition, verses 8 through 12. I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles, sing unto the name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and loud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles... In him shall the Gentiles trust. It was prophesied by Isaiah, by other prophets, Hosea and Hosea 2.23. I think we talked about this last week where it says, I will sow unto her and me in the earth and will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy. will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say thou art my God. We tied that to 1 Peter 2.10 last week. And then we looked at Romans 9.25 and 26. As he saith also in O.C., which is Hosea. I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. It shall come to pass that in the place where it is sent them, ye are not my people. There they should be called the children of the living God. Folks, again, the gospel was to preach to all. Every creature, like I quoted earlier from Mark 16, 15 and 16, as the apostles were told, Jesus was not just the Savior of the Jews. In 1 John four, fourteen. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Wonderful, wonderful. Whether they were Gentiles then or those of us now who are in Christ, we can know that was the plan all along. It wasn't, hey, the Jews failed and God wants to find another people, so okay. I guess we'll just open the doors to everybody now. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. It was the plan from before the beginning. God wanted all men to have the opportunity of salvation. The promise to Abraham, whether you're reading Genesis 12 or Genesis 22:18, 18, is that all the nations of the earth be blessed, not just the tribes of Israel and their descendants that's wonderful news. That's great news. Thank you, God, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So from that, let's talk about sanctification. Sanctification, that is purification, the effect of consecration, the sanctification of heart and life as it is here in this text. Let's broaden it by going outside the text. Let's think about it because when we're looking at words uh, in the Bible, and we're thinking about how our Lord uh, intends words to be used, and 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 we can look at different contexts, and we can learn from different contexts, and we can say, hey, you know, we have clarification. We're not just stuck on one verse saying, does this mean anything beyond this, or what else can this mean? No, we have clarification. We we can look and we can study and and we can grow and we can gain wisdom and knowledge. So. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Can you guess what word there is the same translated from the same Greek word as in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2? It's holiness. It's holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, I've already given away the answer. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So God has not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Follow peace and holiness. That's sanctification. In that regard, both of those verses, that's the sanctification aspect that men does. We're talking about through sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification of the Spirit. This sanctification is not separated from the gospel. This is where we come back to what we had talked about earlier. And I'm going to go to other passages to prove it again afresh. Sanctification of the Spirit and being elect are inseparable from the declared gospel of Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-17 it says, But we are bound to give thank always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, right? So like we're talking about, through sanctification of the Spirit, wonderful, clear, nothing that has to be said there. So Is man's part separated from that? Notice, and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which has loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your heart, establish you in every good word and work from the beginning chosen you through salvation chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth don't separate what god joins together right now like we talked about earlier that's different than the laying on of the apostles hands the giving of the holy spirit the spiritual gifts god the father the son the holy spirit have always had roles, non-miraculous roles in the sense of working through men and the salvation of mankind, as well as the creation of the world, the sustaining of the world, etc. The Holy Spirit has a role in the renewal and sanctification of those that obey the gospel. And one way, a first century way, that was tied to the laying on the apostles' hands, Romans 15, 14 through 19, and, and had to do with the confirmation of the gospel, had to deal with doing miracles, where, where Paul says in Romans 15, 14 through 19, "...I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written a more boldly unto you of some sort, putting you in mind because the grace given to me of God." that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So we have that work here. Okay, now notice as we continue on. I have therefore where I made glory through Jesus Christ and those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, now notice this, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. That is, the works that are done through man by the Spirit. So that from Jerusalem and round about like Lyconium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. These are the spiritual gifts that Paul or other believers use to confirm the word. Mark 16, 15 through 20. You see here the, the two separated sides. The sanctification by the Holy Ghost, not dealing with the miraculous, then you have the miraculous. Now in Titus chapter 3, I think this is really good and really really awesome text. Verses 1 through 7, Paul, writing to the evangelist, says, "...put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For ourselves also were sometimes foolish." Disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration. So think about earlier what we read in Acts twenty two sixteen. Why, tarryst thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the Lord. And then notice this. And renewing of the Holy Ghost. Then he says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we shall be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The, the work of the Holy Spirit in the forgiveness of our sins, and the sanctification uh, of, of Christians, is pretty evident in the scriptures. Apart from you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which was the miraculous of men. Now, I want you to think about some language. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Know ye not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor offendment, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus and the Spirit of God. And, and t- being tied together to justification. Tied together with being justified and sanctified and washed. That is not what happened through laying on the apostles' hands after people were immersed. It ties to the Holy Spirit's work. So how, how's that work? Like, explain that to me. You know, we, we could say, well, God forgives of our sins. Jesus washes us by his blood. These are things that people tend to, to grasp. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, everything else changes. It's like people read language about the Holy Spirit and stupid abounds. All right, let's just let the Bible define it for us. Romans 6, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 11. What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? No, you not. So many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that is a huge point in what we're going to talk about. Please, please kind of remember that. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we shall not serve sin." For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto eat unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, chapter 8 of Romans, verse 11, verses. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. but they are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him, this is, again, I said, remember, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, I said, remember that language, because it ties together with what we're going to talk about. Here it is. What's the Spirit's work in baptism, for example? But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. That's not a literal indwelling. Don't lose your mind there. God the Father and God the Son all dwell in us. Go read 1 John chapter 4. It's the figure. Keep that in mind. Now, one more. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. I think it, it, it makes it real simple. The Holy Spirit, when, when you combine Romans 6, 1 through 11 specifically that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. And then Romans 8, if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead, well, how was Christ raised from the dead? By the Spirit. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. And whom also you're circumcised with circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism. That, buried with Him in baptism, sorry, wherein, Also, ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. Now, how did God raise you from the dead? By the Spirit, right? When you tie all that together, there you got it. There you got the Spirit's work in baptism. You got the Spirit's work through sanctification of the Spirit. It's not mystical. It's not beyond comprehension. Maybe it's not the milk of the word. But it is definitely not thick steak either. It's why we read language such as 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we're all baptized in one body, whether it be Jew or Gentile, whether it be bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit. Now that's in the context of spiritual gifts, and part of that is related to spiritual gifts. But the other part of that is for by one spirit, we're baptized in one body. This ties to baptism, like we saw in Titus 3, 1 through 7. It can't be separated it ties together. So moving on, that is not to say that the Christian doesn't play a role in his or her own renewal. Verses that a lot of Christians know, like Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Who does that? You do. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. If so be ye have heard of him, and how have been taught of him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So these people were not possessed by the Holy Spirit or anything else. Sanctification of the Spirit was through their doing, just like it is today in ours, and it ties to and is connected to the work done in baptism. Now, what about the next phrase? And I've got to hurry along just a little bit. One hour, 13 minutes. Okay, you got to hurry on a little bit. I don't want to cut it short, though. So, the phrase, unto obedience. Let's talk about that. That the Gentiles could obey. We read this in Acts fifteen seven. There had been much disputing. Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know how a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth, shall hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's talking about Acts chapter 10, verse one through 11, 18, where the Gentiles were taught, specifically Cornelius and his household, and they obeyed the gospel. They believed and obeyed. They were baptized. They were given the Holy Spirit like the apostles were as confirmation of that. In fact, when you read Acts chapter 11, that point is made clear. I'm going to do this quickly. Acts 11, 1 through 18. The apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they were with him of the circumcision contended with him. So Peter meets resistance, saying, "Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. <laughs> Funny he did it here, right? But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them, saying, and he's going to abbreviate. You go back and you read Acts 10. He's going to abbreviate it. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance, and I saw a vision. certain vessel descending and it hath been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners. And it came even to me, upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. And I heard a voice saying, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean hath at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, thou, that call thou not common. And this was done three times, and we all drawn up in heaven. Behold, immediately, there were three men already come in the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered in the man's house. And it showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said, "'Send men unto Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter.' Who shall tell you these words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved? And I began to speak. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on in the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John indeed is baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus, what was I that I should withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That the Gentiles might obey, folks. That's it. Repentance unto life. Now, we know these Gentiles, they're not being taught here in 1 Peter how to obey the gospel. They already had. We'll see it in verse 22 through 25, where it says, seeing you've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, so you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever for all, Flesh is as grass, and the glory of men is flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The end result for obedient Gentiles is being made fellow heirs and of the same body. When we come back to Ephesus, we see this in Ephesians 3:1 twelve, where Paul says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the Gentiles, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me you word, how that by revelation he made known in the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as now revealed unto us as holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I, Paul, was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, who am the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden, God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now into the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose... Which he purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of Him. That the Gentiles could obey. Like they did in Acts 10. Like as we see in Acts 19, these saints in Ephesus did that, just like these brethren that are being written to that are scattered. They obeyed the gospel. That made them gent, that made them as Gentiles, joint heirs. So, unto obedience. Yes. Wonderful. You're a Gentile. You can hear, believe, and obey the gospel. You are not shoved aside. So, what about the next phrase? And sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, this ties back to language of the law of Moses. But... It has to do with Christ. How is that? Well, Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You know, if it's not for the blood of Christ, Gentiles can't be saved. It's under the old law, separated. The old law was a middle wall of partition, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17, okay? We're gonna talk about that. If we go back to the law of Moses, the sin offering and the sprinkling of blood, Leviticus 5 and verse 9, he shall sprinkle of the blood of the sin offering upon the side of the altar, and the rest of the blood shall be wrung out at the bottom of the altar. It is a sin offering. The sprinkling of blood is about the sin offering. Jesus' blood, much greater than anything offered of old. You see that he, as a high priest, brought better sacrifices, Hebrews chapter 7, a better covenant, chapter 8, a better priesthood, chapter 9, a, and from chapter 9, verse 15 following, or verse 12 and following, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, into Hebrews chapter 10, the better sacrifice. The law, Hebrews 10, verse 1, having a shadow of good things to come is not the very image of the things that can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then they would have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices is remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, this is Jesus, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it's written to me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, and what is not, neither have pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So here you have Christ's part in sanctification. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down ever, or for sins, forever, sat down on the right hand of God. For henceforth, expecting till his enemies shall be made his footstool. Hmm. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us that after he said... This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith, Lord. I'll put their law, my law in their hearts, and when their minds will I write them, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Which is consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Christ washed away sins. Revelation 1 and verse 5. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead unto the priest, prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And by the way, this is written to impart the church in Ephesus, Gentiles. When you read Ephesians chapter 2, we're not going to have time to do that in this podcast. The whole chapter, they were quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins by the grace of God, not of their own works. That middle wall of partition that was the law of Moses is taken out of the way. That those who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That's where the sprinkling of the blood of Christ comes in to wash away sins. Now finally in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, it says grace and peace be multiplied. Oh, what a wonderful statement. It's easy to just quickly pass over it and say, "Well, this is a common extension. Well, that is in part true." We see grace and peace extended to the church in Rome in Romans 1 and verse 7, to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 3, at the second letter in 2 Corinthians 1, 2, to the churches of Galatia in Galatians 1 and verse 3, to Ephesus in Ephesians 1 and verse 2, to Philippi, Philippians 1, 2, to Colossae, Colossians 1, 2, to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2 Thessalonians 1, 2, to individuals like Timothy, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 2, and 2 Timothy 1 and verse 2, to the Titus and Titus 1 and verse 4, to Philemon, in 1 verse 3, and it's not just Paul. John does it in 2 John 1 verse 3, and, and in Revelation 1 verse 4, and Peter does it here in 1 Peter 1, 2, and again and 2 Peter 1, 2. And remember, we read that earlier, and I said we're going to come back to that. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So how is grace and peace multiplied? Through knowledge. It's why 2 Peter concludes with that command in second peter 3:18 but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen grace peace you get it through the word of god multiplied think about that means to increase that's pretty logical right strongs number 4129 to increase to multiply to be increased to to be multiplied to increase etc well, how, how am I going to increase grace and peace? I'm going to grow. How? Through knowledge. What should come to mind? Well, hey, peace, grace, they tie together. And what's peace do for us? In Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the chaos of the world, the persecution, this this is huge. These scattered saints and all they're facing, they need to grow in grace and peace to get through what they're facing. It's why when we come later in 1 Peter 5.14, it says, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with all ye that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That peace, that peace that passes carnal understanding, common man's understanding, that's in Christ Along with grace that is obtained through knowledge that you know about, these are going to keep you. Back to that Second Peter one, one through eleven. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. These brothers and sisters in Christ elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied. Grow in it. Let it be increased folks come to the end of our time i had to hurry a little bit there but you got it you can hit the pause button my dear darling wife my my babe katrina i know i burned your pen and pencil and whatever you're using up i know you're gonna say you were talking so fast oh we got so much to talk about So much to talk about. You know, we left some meat on the bone, so you can study this on your own and pull some things uh, as well. Our next podcast, if if we get to that, if the world continues, is going to be on 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that faith not away way reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We've got a lot to talk about. we got a lot to talk about. I hope you're loving it. I'm loving it. I love teaching it. Hey, for no other reason, thank you for giving me the opportunity to teach these things, to talk about them. Now Listen you got some questions. If you want to study further, if I said something here or just in general that you want to know about the Bible, call me. My phone number is 915-525-5794. You can email me, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wordsoftruth.net, or you can visit that website, www.wordsoftruth.net, and I will do all that I can to help you. I am so very grateful for the audience however small or great it ends up being. Thankful that you give me the opportunity to teach the word of God. You truly, truly have made my day. Uh, Thank you so much. Until next time, I hope you'll tune back in on Tuesday and hear the podcast then. Thank you and goodbye.